So as our uh, Cactus Campus, our chapel, and our venue across campus join us for our time in the Word, would you bow with me? And let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the worship that has preceded uh, our time in your Word. We pray that it has focused our minds and even made our hearts tender to the things that you want to say to us. God, we feel that your Word, we know that your Word is life to our souls. It helps us to understand you in a way that we would be lost without it. So we pray that as we open this book now, that you might help us to understand you rightly. And our commitment, Lord, back is that that which we know, we will live out and even obey. And we pray this in Christ's name. And we all say together, amen. So here's a fact that we all know about life, and every one of you have had experiences with this, and that's that there are some times in life where we're just not listening. <laughs> Can you own that today? There are some times in life where we're just not listening to what other people are saying to us or even asking of us. It's the spouse sitting on the couch watching TV while the other spouse, a he or a she, most likely a she, is trying to get the other person's attention and even the kids try to get the person's attention to absolutely no avail. They're just not listening. It's the guy ahead of you driving uh, and stuck traffic when the light is green and, and, and he or she isn't even paying attention and you're honking and they're not even hearing you and you're stuck there in traffic. This has happened to me on more than one occasion. I, I swear there are times when I'm at a restaurant and I ask for decaf coffee. Do you see where I'm going with this? And, and, and I'm up until about one or two in the morning. And, and I don't think that I got decaf. I'm not sure that the waiter heard that. I, it happens all the time, every day. We all know what it's like to either not listen ourselves or to be not listened to. We live in a world that doesn't always listen. Now, hang on to that, and let's dial into what we're doing here in our church right now. We're about halfway through the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We're spending eight sessions, eight Sundays, in one chapter in the Gospel of Mark. And it's a very interesting chapter. Mark is introducing Jesus to his audience, that's you and me, and he's doing so through seven different avenues that we can take to know Jesus, whether for the very first time or if you've been a veteran believer for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, it's the same avenues. So we've been looking at things like this, the avenue of another person, as we saw with John the Baptist, another's voice guiding us to an understanding of Jesus. Or how about knowing Jesus through the wilderness? Times when we feel very lonely and desolate and even far away from God. Those are times that we can know Jesus. We looked at that. Or last week, we looked at this idea of following and how by learning to do this simple act of following, we can detach from the things that keep us from Jesus and attach to the things that draw us to him. You get the idea. Mark is helping us to know Jesus, know him through various avenues that we can all take. And today, we come to probably one of the most simple, yet so often messed up avenues when it comes to getting to know Jesus. It's the avenue of listening to him, listening to him. And so I want to begin by trying this trait out, and I'm going to ask you to listen to the gospel story as I read it for you right now. So this will give you a chance to have a victory right out of the chute. And I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And as many of you know, I've been asking you to do something as we read the gospel stories. What is that? Stand. So let's all stand 
and in chapel, venue, and cactus, you all stand with us as well. We're one congregation. And you can follow along as I read from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into the surrounding district of Galilee. You may be seated. Now, there is a ton in this story, this true account that we just read. There's so much here that I could probably do an entire series of messages just out of this one paragraph in the scriptures here. But for our sake this morning, in talking about this idea of listening and what it means to listen to Jesus, I want you to notice two things here in this text. Here's the first one, and that's that it's telling us that Jesus' teaching is worth listening to because it's unlike anything you have ever heard. You're going to want to dial into that. Jesus' teaching is worth listening to no matter where you might be on the spiritual continuum. Whether you're a brand new seeker, a brand new seeker, whether you're a new believer, whether you're a veteran believer, it doesn't matter. It's worth listening to, as you'll see in a minute, because it's unlike anything that you have ever heard or will ever hear. So what do I mean by this? Let's get the context of this story right, and you'll see what I mean. Jesus is ministering here in this story in the far end of Palestine in a town he spent a lot of time in called Capernaum. It's on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the north end of Palestine. And so picture Jesus in Flagstaff. Or picture Jesus in Monument Valley. You guys can get that geography right. That's where Jesus is in the the Holy Land at this time. And on this particular day, it tells us it's the Sabbath day, which is kind of like our Sunday today. It was Saturday back then, a day of rest for the Jewish people based on one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus goes into the local synagogue, again, kind of like a church today, a place of worship and teaching for the Jewish people back then and even today, and he begins, Jesus does, to teach. And it's interesting, Mark never tells us anything at all about the content of Jesus' teaching because that's not his point. He simply tells us that as these veteran synagogue people and the Jewish leaders heard Jesus teach, they were amazed. And what made them amazed was the authority that oozed out of Jesus as he taught. And it's fascinating. Mark feels that this is such an important point, this idea of amazement because of the authority, that he repeats it twice. Look up here on the screen. He says it in verse 22, and then he repeats it again in verse 27. So if there's anything we should focus on in this story right now, it would be those twice-repeated two words, amazement and authority. That's the point. That twice-repeated word, amazed, is a very interesting word. In the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, it doesn't mean exactly what it means in the English today. 
When you and I use the word amazed, we kind of mean it as, wow, isn't that neat? But, but the Greek word is much more rich than this. It means to be amazed in the sense of awe mixed with fear. Awe mixed with fear. So, so yeah, you're saying, wow, isn't that neat? But it's more of like a, I've never heard or seen anything like this. But then your heart starts pounding a little bit as you have some apprehension, even some fear mixed in. And I tried to think this week, well, what is it that you and I have that response to today? And this might sound silly, but at least this bears true for me. If I watch a really good science fiction movie, and I don't mean like anything on the sci-fi channel, I'm talking about a really good science fiction movie, I, I tend to have this response of, if you will, if you will biblical amazement. I, when I watch a really good science fiction movie, I'll say to myself, I can't believe something like that would ever happen. I mean, like, whoa. But, but then I think to myself, I sure hope something like that never does happen to this world because that would not be a good thing. That's the response that the people had to Jesus' teaching. They didn't fully understand at this point what he was saying about himself or even the kingdom of God. And what he did say scared them a bit. But they also sensed that this was eternally important stuff that he was talking about, stuff that could alter the very fabric of their human lives. And so they were amazed. And you're going to want to note then that the reason that they were amazed was because of the authority that Jesus had. The authority. In other words, he taught them like one that nobody had ever heard teach like that. He taught them, the other scripture writers will have, now don't miss this, as one who truly knew God, even as one who had been with God. And there's a reason for that. Do you all know what that reason is or was? And that's that Jesus had been with God. He did know God. In fact, according to John chapter 1, verse 1, he was God. Theologians call it the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we call that pre-existence. Jesus was pre-existent as the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, very God uh, in essence, before all time began. Scriptures tell us he was present at the time of creation. And then in the Gospel of John, which we're going to study next year, Jesus says a lot of things that let us know about his relationship with God the Father when he talks about the fact that, 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 that he and God are one and that, and that he and the Father speak things to each other and that everything he hears the Father say, he says to other people. I mean, there's a unity, a oneness, a closeness. So, so, so simply see this. Of course, when Jesus was teaching, there was an authority like you'd never, ever get on a human level. Unlike the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes who were Old Testament exegetes, Jesus spoke the very words of God, the very words that come directly from him. And so maybe this will sum it up. I like how one Bible expert says it, referring to the crowd's amazement and Jesus' authority. Look up here on the screen. This is what he says. They did not fully understand who Jesus is or what his presence means, but they cannot evade the impression of having been confronted by a word invested with power to which there is no analogies in their existence. <laughs> That's what's going on here. It's hard for you and I to relate, but, but Jesus, when he spoke, 
And we're going to talk about how you and I tap into listening to him in a minute. When he spoke, when they heard his words, they were amazed because they were like anything they had ever heard. That Jesus' teaching is unlike anything ever heard before. So it's worth you and I, no matter where we happen to be today spiritually, at least tuning into and listening to. That's the first thing this text teaches us. Now, if this grabs you at all, if this interests you at all when it comes to your life today, then I think you're ready for the second point of this passage, really the main point of this passage, and that is that you're ready to see then that to truly know Jesus, you need to become a lifelong learner of him. I know it sounds so simple, but many Christians, I think, miss this today. You'll see what I mean in a minute. To truly know Jesus, what Mark is telling us here is that you need to embark on the avenue of learning to listen to him on a regular basis, to dial in what he says to you, both through his word and then through his still small voice in your heart and mind. And as you do that, you become a lifelong learner of him, but you got to learn to listen. I think this is one of the main things that Mark is trying to tell us about what it means to know Jesus. In fact, I'm going to show you right now that really what Mark is doing here is pretty mind-blowing when he's telling us that people need to go from being amazed at Jesus to learning to listen to Jesus. So we got a ton of people both inside and outside the church today that are amazed at Jesus. We go, man, isn't he awesome? I mean, isn't he just so cool? And I mean, his words are great. And, and, and Jesus was just a wonderful religious leader. We've got a lot of people who are amazed at Jesus. But, but how many people do we have who are really listening to Jesus? Let me, let me show you how this plays out in this story. I want you to track what's happening in this story as it progresses. Because something ironic and even paradigm-altering occurs. As Jesus is teaching in this first-century church or synagogue, as we've already noted, the people were amazed. And then what happens next is that a man walks in who Mark refers to as having an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit. Now, we're going to explore next week as we continue with avenues on what this unclean spirit, demonic possession, uh, miracles and healings and all this is about when we talk about knowing Jesus through the avenue of the extraordinary. But just suffice it to say for today that evil is real in this world. I think we all know that. And that the Bible also affirms that it's possible for evil to inhabit people on a personal level. I know it's hard for 21st century minds to maybe understand this, but believe me, about 50 years ago, when Hitler rose up, when Stalin, when Mussolini were here, people had no problem understanding that evil is real and that evil can inhabit a human person. Uh, believe me, before our current world, or at least our, our modern generation, people had no problem with this idea. And that's what's happening here. A man has become inhabited by personal evil, an unclean spirit, who has control of him, even speaking through him. And it's interesting, this personal form of evil, this is really important for you guys to see, recognizes Jesus. He knows who he is. It says there in verse 24, look up here on the screen, that he cried out saying, what business do we, speaking on behalf of all demons, have to do with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
So using language of defensiveness and resistance, this demon both knows who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. In fact, as you read on in Mark, the demons will even call him the Son of God, so they know clearly who he is and partially even why Jesus came, and that was to destroy evil and gain victory over sin and evil through his work on the cross. So don't miss this. This demon has personal knowledge of who Christ is and why he came, knowledge that the people don't have yet. Now, hang on to that and notice how the story progresses then in verses 25 to 26. It goes on to tell us that Jesus rebukes this demon, tells him to be quiet, and then commands him to come out of this man. In other words, as this demon is talking, based on his knowledge of Jesus, Jesus silences him and dispels the demon or expels the demon. And in having to obey Jesus, the demon screams in what is a loud voice, And in one last act of defiance, as he screams, he comes out of this man, and all is now quiet. So you got the demon talking, the demon even screaming, Jesus silencing this demon who understands who he is, and everything is quiet. But only for a split second. Because what happens next is where the irony comes in. Uh, What happens next in verses 27 and 28 is that these people who were amazed, again, awe and fear, begin to debate among themselves. In other words, they begin talking and doing a lot of dialoguing among ourselves, and it even wraps up by saying that they left that event talking even more as news about Jesus went out everywhere. In other words, the people continued this talking, dialoguing motif and went around gabbing about Jesus to anybody and everybody that would listen. And though many of you are saying, well, that sounds like a good thing, it's really not. That's not Mark's point in all of this. His point is actually ironic, humorous, if not sad. Because here's what's happening. You got this demon-possessed man who's doing all this talking because he knows who Jesus really is and why he came. And you have lots of good-hearted synagogue people who are clueless but amazed as to who Jesus is and why he came. And Jesus silences the demon. He stops talking. And the people begin talking and don't stop. That's what you need to see here. And so here is the irony that I see in this. And that is that the ones who knew who Jesus was and would never change these dark, personal, evil forces were silenced. And yet the ones who didn't know who Jesus was and needed to know and listen to him started talking, and they wouldn't stop. Do you see that? The ones who had no need to listen because they chose to follow the evil one eons ago, and their fate was sealed, these demonic forces, they were silenced. They even obeyed Jesus and listened to him. But the ones who did need to know, these good-hearted synagogue people who needed to understand why Jesus came and who he was and what he was about, they didn't listen anymore. They, they, They went from amazement to talking rather than amazement to listening. So you have one group who had knowledge but couldn't change and were quiet and listening, while the other group who didn't have knowledge and could change wouldn't shut up. And I would submit to you guys that there is something extremely instructive 
for you and me in this today. Namely, to truly know Jesus. <laughs> you and I need to have regular times in our personal lives where we stop talking and we learn to listen to Jesus. Because I would submit to you that it's very, very possible for us to be like those good-hearted synagogue people back then who were amazed at who Jesus is, and yet, in response, instead of listening to him, we continue to talk. We need to stop our incessant noise and stop our incessant busyness and carve out a lot more time and space to learn to listen to Jesus. Most of you have no idea who Robert Kupferschmidt is, but you're going to love this story. A few years back, Kuferschmidt was an 81-year-old retiree and he was flying with his best friend, Wesley Sickle, an accomplished pilot in Sickle's Cessna 172 airplane. They were returning home from Muncie, Indiana to Indianapolis to have a nice lunch. And at one point, Kuferschmidt looked over at his friend and realized that he was slumped over the controls and he reached over to touch him and he realized that his friend was dead. Later on, they would realize that his friend had a heart attack. And yet there was a big problem, bigger than just a heart attack right now, and that's that his friend was slumped over the controls and the plane was starting to do a nosedive. And what made matters worse is that Cooper Schmidt had no idea how to fly a plane. He had watched his friend on his trip up to the point where he knew that at least if he pulled his body back and used some of the controls on his side of the plane, that he could at least level off, and that's indeed what he did. And then he had learned how to use the radio, so he got on the radio and he called for help. About 20 miles away, another pilot by the name of Mike Bowen, this is a true story, heard the call. He flew over to where Cooper Schmidt was and he spotted him visually. And realizing that they needed to act quickly and efficiently, he was going to get him to the nearest airport that ironically is called Mount Comfort Airport. True story, that's the name of the airport. And they immediately dispatched emergency crews to this airport because, they, airport because they believed that a catastrophic crash was about to happen. That I would submit to you would forever ruin the name Mount Comfort as the airport name. But Bowen and Cooperschmidt had many different plans. Speaking very slowly, Bowen radioed to Cooperschmidt instructions on how to check airspeed, keep the wings level, turn, climb, descend, and even land. And circling the airport three times, he finally made an attempt at landing, get this, coming in at 30 degrees, which is way too sharp, bouncing off the ground 100 feet into the air, coming back down, finally getting on the ground, going into the soggy area of the grass, and ending up nose front, but intact. In fact, here's an actual picture uh, from the scene uh, of, of Cooper Schmidt. I think it's funny, being arrested by the police at this point because they had a lot of questions as to why his friend was dead. They eventually would find out that it wasn't Cooper Smith's fault and they didn't arrest him, but they initially were very suspect of this whole thing. But there's the airplane. You can picture the whole scene in your mind. An 81-year-old man with no flight experience landing his plane safely with his dead friend next to him. Now, after it was all over, I want you to listen to what Cooper Schmidt in an interview said about his rescuer. He said, and I quote, I knew I was in trouble, but I wasn't worried as long as someone was talking to me. 
Mike Bowen said this in the same interview. He said, he, Cooper Schmidt, sounded concerned over the radio, but never frantic. All I did was tell him what to push and what to pull. After that, he did all the work. So very simple story. You got one guy talking, another guy listening, and that's what diverted a disaster. That's what allowed an 81-year-old man with no flight experience to land the plane. And here's the obvious spiritual point for you and me. You and me spend all week in uncharted spiritual territory. Think of your life. You fly around all week long. And you're wondering, as you fly in this culture and society around us, how do you rightly pray? How do you view God when things get difficult? How do you respond in your marriage? How do you incorporate faith into the marketplace? How do you talk about faith issues to your kids how do you deal with anger, confusion, anxiety, and even unforgiveness in your life? Right, let's be honest. Since the fall of humankind, humanity has had no idea how to fly the spiritual plane. And there's even many people inside the walls of lots of churches in America today that are still rather clueless on how to fly the spiritual plane all week long. And so let's be honest. We need help if we're ever going to avoid crashing. And that's the point that Mark is making. The help given to us is a voice. It's the words and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. He has promised that if you believe and trust in him, he will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Amen. And that's a promise. It's true de facto, whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not. If you're his today through faith in him, he will never, ever leave you in a scenario in life but many of you feel like he has and there's a reason for that you haven't learned to listen to him you haven't learned how to tap in on a spiritual level to his words and even his presence in your life so that you might sense that power with you and that's the point mark is making here the demons got it and even though they weren't his friend they shut up and even obeyed him the good-hearted church people didn't get it. <laughs> and they wouldn't stop talking. And in all their talking, they failed to listen. Now, maybe look at it this way and tell me if this isn't true. All of our lives, ever since you and I were little guys and gals, being good Americans, we've been taught that if there ever was any space in our lives, what are we to do with that space? Fill it, right? I mean, think about every area of your life. You're taught to fill it. But when it comes to finances, you never have enough you got to work and earn more. you got to fill that bank account. Uh, when it comes to any dissatisfaction in your life, say you have a relational deficit, what are you going to do? You're going to have to find a new relationship. God doesn't want you to be lonely. Uh, when it comes to your jobs and vocation, if you don't like your job, man, change it. There's lots of opportunity out there. Just fill it. Uh, when it comes to your emotions, if you're sad or depressed or anxious, oh my, God doesn't want you to be that. Buy season tickets, go on a vacation, find a hobby, add an addition to the house. But we have been taught ever since we were little guys and gals that empty is bad, full is good. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Jamie, well, those were unfair examples. I mean, some of those things are needs and they're legitimate, and I would agree with you. I'm just simply pointing out that we develop a pattern in our life that whenever anything is empty, being good Americans, we fill it. And church people do it all the time. And here's the problem is that we drag that into our personal and private walk with God. 
And so we, when we have an opportunity for silence and stillness in our lives so that we might hear his voice, but following the pattern that we have honed so well over the years, what do we do? We fill it. That you and I have any silence in our lives, we turn on the TV, we listen to talk radio, we dive headlong into a novel, we pull out the laptop, we text, we call a friend. We fill the silence with words and chatter, anything to overcome the deafening silence. And right at this point in our lives, dial into this this week for your life, right at this point when you do that even this week, this irony that we see in the text here is playing itself out <laughs> in your very life. You've become just like the crowds that are amazed and astonished at this Jesus that is in your life. But because you never leave any space, because you never have any downtime that has no agenda but just to be with him, you're constantly going and chattering and you're no different than the crowds. And the messages that God wants to get through to your heart and soul Messages that have to do with his manifold wisdom and even his personal love and grace toward you never sink into the deep places in your life. And so then you crash and burn and you wonder where God is while all the time he said, I've been trying to get your attention. <laughs> you just need to slow down and listen to me. Uh, Mike Iaconelli was a uh, pastor and an author and, and quite frankly a very nutty Christian leader who died a few years back. And, and before he died... In an interview with Christianity Today magazine, he told a story of something that had recently happened to him that made him realize once again the profound nature of God's words needing to get through in our lives. Listen to what he says. He says, I travel a lot and I came to San Francisco one night and missed my connection back home. I was angry and upset and I called my son on the phone. I wanted him to encourage me. I said, man, I'm stuck at the airport. It's been a horrible day. I'm traveling too much. My son said, you know, Dad, if you didn't travel so much, you wouldn't have things like this happen. <laughs> Iaconelli goes on to say, well, I didn't appreciate that. I was ticked off. I said, let me talk to your son, my two-year-old grandson. As my grandson got on the phone, he says, I forgot that when you're two, you can't talk, and when you're 60, you can't hear. He said, that's not a good combination. He's mumbling on the phone. I'm hoping that this is going to make me feel better. It's making me feel worse. Finally, I'd had it. I heard him drop the phone to the floor. Now I hear the kids playing. I'm stuck in the airport. I'm having this miserable experience. I'm furious. I'm angry. When all of a sudden I hear crystal clear over the phone, I love you, Grandpa. Yaconelli says, you know what? All my anxiety, everything in that moment went out the window. And he made his trip back home with peace and purpose. When I read that years ago, I thought to myself, you know, you and I aren't different from Iaconelli. But we get stuck in airports, we get frustrated and angry, we find no relief sometimes from loved ones who don't seem to empathize. And so by analogy, if somehow we can hear a word from God when we need it the most, amen? To just hear something from him. Maybe in I love you. Maybe I'm with you, child. Maybe hang in there. Maybe, maybe the fact that there's weeping in the night, there's joy in the morning, whatever we might hear. Maybe even some wisdom on what to do in circumstances that we're stuck in. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. But the assumption there is, is that we're listening. 
And as long as we continue all the chatter in our lives, I'm telling you, we're never going to hear him. And let's be brutally honest here. I know what some of you are thinking right now. If you and I are having a cup of coffee, you'd say, but Jamie, I tried it. I mean, I've tried it a few times. I've carved out like 15 minutes and I've sat there on my couch in silence and you know what? Nothing. I didn't hear nothing. What's the answer to that when somebody says that to you? I mean, really, think about it from God's vantage point. I just love it when people say that to me. I think, okay, so let's see this from God's vantage point. You took a whole 15 minutes out of your life and said, okay, God, here I am, speak, and then you're going to watch Big Bang Theory for 30 minutes after that. So Big Bang Theory gets 15 more minutes than God does, and you're complaining to God that you didn't hear him. You see, here's what I tell people when they say, I tried it for 15 minutes and didn't work. I'll say, then try it again. Well, I tried it again, then try it again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and increase it to 30 minutes, 35, 40. Learn to listen to him, because it is a learned trait. And saying that you tried it once or twice is actually inane. It wouldn't work on any other level. Kim and I, Kim's here at this service right now, and you know I've, I've been very honest with you guys that in the early days of our marriage, mainly because of me, we, we had quite a few uh, struggles in our marriage, and we were not shy to go seek out a marriage counselor. And I don't know if you remember this, honey, but I remember one counselor that we went to, we had to see multiple ones, but one counselor that we went to <laughs> said to us at one point, because our communication skills were so bad, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, at 5 o'clock, when you guys get home, and we had little babies at that time at home, when you get home, Jamie, you're going to spend 10 minutes uninterrupted listening to Kim and her day. And you can't say anything. The only thing you could do is reflectively listen and empathize and things like that, but you can't say anything. And then after Kim talks for 10 minutes, then you for 10 minutes get to tell her about your day. And I want you to do that every day for a month. And I got to tell you, the first day we tried it, it felt about as fake as a $3 bill because we were not used to that and it felt plastic and it felt dumb and is this really going to work? And even after a month, I guess things maybe were marginally better, but it's not like that was a quick fix. It was a therapeutic technique that was good to develop, but it was never meant to be a quick fix. It was to teach us to try to develop a pattern, a very simple pattern of just learning to listen. 25 years later in our marriage, I, I don't think we've mastered everything because I'm still in the equation, but the reality is, is that we have learned to listen. But here's the deal. It took years. Amen to that? Years. So if it takes years to develop that in a good marriage, it's not going to come quick with God either. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start by decluttering your life and learning to listen to him. We're going to practice this in about three minutes with our venue, chapel, and Cactus Campus, and all of us here. We're going to practice this in a few minutes. We go to the communion table. Uh, but, but, but really, use this practice time we're going to have in a minute here for your personal lives. The only message I want you to hear today is that his words are worth listening to. His words really are. But you've got to carve out time and space. Get with his word. Read his word. Read the words of Jesus to you. And then just be in his presence. It's the only way you're going to learn to listen. I want to leave you with one last challenge. I call this the challenge of the scribes. In verse 22 of this passage we read here earlier, it says they were amazed at his teaching, for he's teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. 
As I said earlier, the scribes were the re religious leaders of Jesus' day, along with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the priests. And, and the scribes were the experts in the Old Testament law. They were the ones who interpreted the Old Testament law, even made moral and binding decisions uh, for Israel based on the law. And, and it's no secret that the scribes didn't like Jesus. Uh, many of them rejected him uh, from day one. They didn't like his teaching. Quite frankly, they weren't listening. In fact, it's fascinating, a statistic out of the Gospel of Mark, out of 22 times that Mark mentions the scribes, 21 of them are negative. <laughs> 21. So 95 plus percent of Mark's mentioning of the scribes were not in a positive context because they were always uh, seemingly against Jesus. But there is one exception, at least one that we know of, and it's actually a powerful one. I want to read for you. Don't turn it in your own Bible. Just listen to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, and see if you can pick up on what's happening with this one scribe. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered him, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What an amazing story. 21 scribes, or at least the 21 instances were not positive, but you have the one in which the scribe was really listening to Jesus. And he was listening with understanding and what he heard made sense because it was right from God as we've already established and he affirmed that back to Jesus. And what was the result? You're not very far from the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like that to be said to you? <laughs> You're not very far from the kingdom of God. I, I would encourage us to identify with the one rather with the, than with the 21. I, I think today, and I don't mean to depress you, but I think today our churches are filled with quite a few scribes. We pride ourselves on our understanding of the word and we interpret it rightly, but the real question is, do we really know Jesus? <laughs> the real question is, are we really listening to him today? And there was one scribe that did. And I don't know about you, but I want to identify with that one. And I want to set a pattern and tone in my life where I'm listening on a regular basis. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to our time of communion. What a beautiful day to, to have our time in communion. And our chapel and our venue and our, and our cactus campus are going to be engaging in communion as well. And we're going to do this all together right now. And what we're going to do today is instead of singing a song throughout communion, which many times we do, we're just going to practice listening and we're all going to be quiet. In all of our four venues, we might have a little bit of music playing here, but more than anything, I just want us to take five minutes. Would that be too much? It'll seem like an eternity for some of you, but five minutes, and let's just be quiet together. And this is your opportunity to open yourself up wide to God and just say to him two words. Can you do this? I'm listening. I'm listening. And again, this might not be a watershed moment for you. You might get to the time of partaking the elements and say, well, I didn't hear much. 
but you're training your soul. It's a good baby step. You're training your soul to be still and quiet before him. And what the scriptures affirm is that his still small voice does come at times to our soul when we're still before him. So let's practice that together right now. So I'm going to pray for us as the ushers come forward and in our chapel and in our venue in Cactus Campus, the ushers coming forward right now. And I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm done praying, we're just going to have a time of quiet. And then I will lead us here in the Shea Auditorium in our time of partaking the elements. And in our other three venues, their pastor will lead them there. But let's just spend some time starting the week right. Let's be quiet before him. Let's bow and pray. Father, I believe we're entering into a sacred holy moment with you right now in this time of communion. And so I pray, God, that as we um, still our, our voices and still our hearts and even quiet our minds before you with only two words directed at you, I'm listening, that, God, you would indeed meet us in this moment. God, for some of us, you have words that you want to say to us that are very personal and intimate to us. May we hear those. Lord, for others of us, you just want to teach us how to be quiet in your presence, to prepare us for future times when we need to hear from you the most. Thank you for the Gospels, that the words of Jesus are contained in these Gospels, and they become the basis for anything that you might say to us. Lord, meet us in these elements, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrate you in Christ's name. Amen.